Let us pray together. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you have to say to us today. Amen. Our scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 11, verses 16 through 19 and verses 25 through 30. Jesus is saying, But to what will I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to one another. We play the flute for you, and you did not dance. We wailed, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You see, in the previous verses in this chapter, Jesus clearly states who John the Baptist is. He was a messenger. And he clearly states who he is, the Messiah. But by saying this generation, he's saying that they lack discernment and they don't recognize Jesus or John. The analogy between children here represents two types of people who want something different. There's children who play a happy game, and then there are children who play a sad game. But both of these are rejected. And this, this analogy compares how people were receiving the two messages from John and Jesus. You see, John preached about judgment and the coming Messiah, who would change everything. But the people thought that his message was too threatening, and that his lifestyle was too uncomfortable and unsophisticated. Then Jesus came with a message, and his message was of peace and love, and forgiveness. And his message was rejected because it wasn't considered spiritual enough. He was called a glutton and a drunk, suggesting that he was rebellious and should be put to death. I mean, do we see the irony here? Here we have a message of judgment, and it was too harsh for the people, but then they turn around and then judge Jesus because his message was too nice. Do we behave like this sometimes? Do we see this in our lives, in our church? Do we ask for forgiveness and seek love, and then we turn around and condemn and shame and judge others who seek the same thing? Where is the justice in that? We're given a dance 
or a funeral, and yet we want neither. And we're never satisfied with our choices. In the book of Haggai, chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, it says, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider how you have fared. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And you that earn wages, earn wages to put them into a bag of holes. You see, we are never satisfied. We ask and we take and we look for more and more and more. But who are we? Who are we then when we are constantly dissatisfied with what we have? When we are dissatisfied with our position, with the things in our lives, Our home isn't enough. Our clothes don't look good enough. Our food doesn't taste the way we want it to. Our holidays were canceled and we're upset about that. And you know what? Our church doors are closed and we are complaining. Nothing is quite enough for us, is it? And let me say this. Dissatisfaction is weary. We are exhausted by it. And when it says in the scripture, consider how you have fared. This is in Haggai. In Hebrew, it means give careful thought to your ways. You see, in Hebrew psychology, the heart was actually the thinking organ. Not the brain or the head. And this is interesting because that means that our thinking, our intellect, is not how we process things but it's about how we feel. So our dissatisfaction comes from how we feel. So we are called to examine the ways of our hearts. And then when we go back to the the Matthew scripture in verse 19, it says, yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. What does that mean? Well, vindication means to be proven right. So if we put that into uh, the interpretation, it means wisdom will be proven right by her deeds. But what's interesting here is the words deeds and children are actually interchangeable in different English translations. And there's a reason for that. Because because by using the word deeds, it's connecting to verse 2 previously. But then by changing it to children, it's connecting to verse 25. So if we put this all together... This is what it's saying. Wisdom will be proven right by her children's works, which are the ones who God has revealed truth to. What is truth? Well, we know that Jesus is truth. But what did Jesus do? Did he just take and complain and demand Or was Jesus' satisfaction deeply rooted in his relationship with God? You see, the scripture continues in this reading, and then Jesus starts praying in front of everyone out loud, which is a bit awkward when you think about it. He just starts praying out loud. And And he says some things that we're like, I don't understand. The wise and the intelligent aren't given this? 
But you see, Jesus isn't condemning education in his prayer. He's condemning pride. Being someone who thinks they know everything is what Jesus refers to as the wise or the intelligent. Whereas the infants are those who are humble in their learning. And when Jesus says and continues in this prayer, he's actually saying, I am the only one who has a true relationship with God. If you want to know him, you need to know me. Do you know what this would do to a prideful person hearing that prayer out loud? I mean, think about someone who has a lot of pride. They typically walk around in their life thinking, I know all this stuff. I've studied it. No one can teach me anything else. But where does pride lead us? You know, it leads us to blindness. We think of ourselves as better than others, and then we become blind to them, to their pain, to their hurt, to their struggle, to their humanness. Do we think that the religious leaders of Jesus' time walked around helping those they thought below them? Heck no. Are you kidding? What about the story of the Samaritan? They didn't help them. What about the story of the woman who was stoned? And let me say that uh, they don't mention the man in that story, and it takes two to do adultery. Just letting you know, if you didn't know that. And the religious leaders, they just walked around ignoring and shaming and passing judgment. But can't we see that today in our own church, in our own lives? What did Jesus do? He walked the streets of the broken. He touched the untouchables and looked into the eyes of those deemed unworthy. And he said, I see you. I see your pain. And I am bringing good news to you. You are loved. You can feel peace. And you are forgiven. Wow, what a message. Do we see? Do we see how we can judge easily when we are prideful and not satisfied? So who are we? Are we the ones ignoring the pain of our brothers and sisters who are begging for justice? Are we the ones who shame those who do not dress or act like we do? Are we the ones who pass judgment to the people we call unworthy of being welcomed into our church doors? Or can we be the ones who love? Can we be the ones who walk the streets of brokenness? Who break the silence of the oppressed? And who embrace the pain and stand up for the rights of our brothers and sisters. You see, Jesus, after his prayer, he finishes this passage by speaking about rest. And there's irony in Jesus praying in front of the Pharisees 
and what he says about their heavy burdens. You see, they felt weighted down by the wrong things. They had developed burdensome religious legalism that not only weighed themselves down, but also the people. And Jesus is being both ironic and truthful. He's speaking to the Pharisees, giving them a chance and giving them hope. But you see, they won't listen. They're too wise. Preferring the burdens of their rituals and lofty thinking instead to Jesus' light yoke. And what is a yoke? Well, a yoke is a harness that's put over an animal usually uh, to pull something of its owner or master. Like uh, the typical picture we have of oxen wearing a harness to pull farm equipment to till the land. So Jesus isn't saying, disregard everything you learned and be your own master. No. He's saying that the law was too heavy for people to carry. The law was the master of that time. And Jesus then is offering himself as the new master. Saying that he will be gentle. He will take care of us. He will give us proper rest when we feel weary and not overwork us in the field. And not only that, but Jesus himself will share the yoke with us. Working together with Christ and each other does not mean that there will be no work. But that Jesus' way is lighter than the previous ways. It's easier to carry. So when Jesus is saying these words, he's not only inviting the Pharisees, but also those deemed unworthy. Unworthy to step foot into the temple. Unworthy because they can't follow the law. So you see, Jesus is inviting everyone, every single person, to experience the lightness of who he is. And you know who he is? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He does not bring weariness, but rest. And Jesus is speaking into our hearts today. He can give us rest, everyone. And I do mean every single person. Jesus was speaking into the hearts of the oppressed. And who are the oppressed? Who are the marginalized of our communities? Who are we saying is unworthy to enter into the temple? Do we recognize that the law itself can be a burden? Do we see that some people can find it to be too heavy to carry by themselves? Do we even recognize that some of our own weariness comes from the law of the church? Is that not what Jesus was pointing out? What is making us weary? Are we in danger of being prideful instead of humble? Is our dissatisfaction making us tired? Are we going to Jesus for rest? 
And are we inviting others to experience the soulful rest of Jesus? Who are we, church? You see, we go in the scripture from two different examples of people constantly seeking more. And yet we are always dissatisfied with what we have, with the choices given to us. We are consuming all the things of our own choosing, picking out what we like and what we don't like, including the people we prefer over the people that we don't get along with. And we do this over and over again. The people didn't want to be satisfied. They wanted everyone to do what they wanted. They didn't want judgment, but then they themselves wanted to judge. They just wanted to be critical and to criticize others. It's as simple as that. But let me clarify something. Being a critical person is different than being a critical thinker. All right? To be a critical thinker is to assess rightly what we are facing. But to be a critical person is to just be downright negative about life. When we are critical people, we don't listen to the message. We only see the faults of the person giving the message. Criticizing something or someone will not prove we are right. It will only happen by, what, by the way that we live. Remember verse 19. Wisdom will be proven right by her children's works. Wisdom will be proven right by the way that we live. And we are called to live like Jesus. You see, neither a dance nor a funeral can take our burdens away permanently. Dissatisfaction will only wear us down. Pride will blind us to the broken, and if we obey laws above Jesus, we will find nothing but emptiness and heavy burdens. None of that can give us rest within our souls. Only Jesus can. And let me end with this. We must be open to the truth, to Jesus, to his way, even if it is revealed to us differently from what we previously believed. By believing that we know it all already, that will only lead us to a prideful, dissatisfied, and judging lifestyle. Let me repeat that. By believing that we know everything, it will only lead us to a prideful, dissatisfied, and judging lifestyle. We must not limit Christ because of our own imperfect understanding. I mean, do we truly believe there are things that are impossible in this world? Are we weary of our current circumstances? Who is telling this to us? Who is telling us it's impossible? Who is keeping us silent? Who is stopping us from offering a cup of water, as Pastor Stewart said last week? 
And who is preventing us from receiving that cup of water? Who is it, church? Do we believe the enemy's lies that it's all impossible? Or do we rise and fight and not give up on the truth and the way and the life of Jesus Christ? Do we believe this, church? Because let me tell you the answer. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. 